As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Boo indeed. Boo indeed. Welcome to another episode of Burn and Return. For those of you that are tuning in for the first time, this is going to be a show that I do with two of my dear friends here where we talk about some things that are going to be out there in the headlines that could potentially have an effect all the way down to our subsections of the green industry. Uh, My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the grass factor. And and then alongside me, we have uh, Ray Ito, who is coming in as a coconut right now uh and if we can figure out his uh his technical difficulties he will become ray eventually and above and to the to the uh to the right of him we have mr ryan demay sir how are you doing this evening man it is a killer night i'm excited to be here how about that (laughs) that's a good callback to the show before the show so for those of you that don't know, we record this on Sunday. It doesn't it doesn't make it out publicly until uh until Wednesday. And uh and man, we had one hell of topic du jour uh before before we came onto the air. And the only thing I, I will say is that it was one hell of a killer topic. And if you're interesting interested in hanging out in the show before the show or on Thursday Thursday, the show after the show, you can check us out, patreon.com forward slash burner return. That's how we are able to do this and also let me tell you what we do because uh we we are we are not taking the proceeds of this and doing nothing with it we are putting it to good use we've got uh an announcement that's going to be coming up soon that's going to be super exciting uh that uh, uh demay gave us like a 42 second pitch on last week and it was such a home run uh that uh it, w- it was one of those that it looked like a 60 mile an hour ball coming at you. And so you just swung for the fences and everybody yoked it over the fence. And it, and it was, it was a perfect setup by design. So uh, that's coming up. And, uh, but it, it also what we have coming up here in a couple of weeks is that we're going to be doing this live in person in Louisville, Kentucky. This is going to be our second annual uh, meetup there. And uh, boy, am I absolutely stunningly excited for that. How could you not be? Matt, and for those of you that don't know, you can go ahead and join us. You can uh, check us out, www.patreon.com forward slash burner return. That's how you get access to all the live shows as we tape them, uh, all the other participation. But uh, it's the only way that you can be able to join us in Louisville because uh, it's a special event. It's closed off. I think we have just a few more spots. And I you know, don't say that to create scarcity or uh, put urgency to people, but it really is just a few remaining spots. and Yeah, I think it is Matt, three, too. Yeah. Is it three? Three now? I think it's right. three. Yeah. It's yeah, so. it's three because someone isn't able to make it with his wife. So we went yeah, from it, literally one to three. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, 
bring your wife and your girlfriend then, and that'll take our three, and everybody's happy. <laughs> and then back to that killer pre-show topic. Oh, that's yeah, a, that's, a good, that to, a, that a, that's a good way to that wasn't a callback, but that was the party. Yeah, no doubt about it. This week's uh, headlines. <laughs> We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. She was gonna kill me. Nothing to fear here. This is just the news, and we're gonna we're gonna get through the headlines here. But boy, oh boy, let me tell you, don't go anywhere for the burns because as nutty as our headlines are gonna be, our burns are gonna make our headlines look like well, burns. Uh, Governor needs to continue trusting science, not politics. This is guest commentary here from uh, Santa Maria Times. Imagine if Congress, instead of the Centers for Disease Control, had been able to determine public health policy during the pandemic. What a terrifying scenario. It would be equally responsible and dangerous for the California legislature to create laws without any basis in sound science, but is trying to do so. Fortunately, Governor Newsom has demonstrated a consistent and highly laudable commitment to letting science guide his major policy decisions. From climate change policy to public health restrictions during the COVID pandemic, science has ruled as well as it should. The legislator professes to value science, but nonetheless, it has sent the governor a bill that conveniently ignores the scientific process and findings of both the U.S. EPA and the California Department of Pesticide Registration, hundreds of health studies, and decades of review. Assembly Bill 2146 seeks to adopt restrictions on a class of pesticides known as neonicotinoids, which are used to combat a variety of pests, including mosquitoes, bed bugs, fleas, cockroaches, and a range of invasive species. Neonicotinoids are vital for protecting backyard fruit, fruit and citrus trees that help provide important nutrition to families around the state. AB 2146 is clearly misguided and unnecessary, and there is no scientific justification for it. Pesticide regulations should be decided by scientific bodies like DPR and not legislature. That is why DPR has an entire army of fucking scientists and why it was created in the first place. If concerned about that, the F word was not in there. That was my fault. I got I got sidetracked. Uh, if concerned about chemicals, the legislator should direct DPR to, underta- uh, to either undertake <laughs> that was effing weird. Additional evaluation to provide more supporting information for its regulations. California's regulatory structure is grounded in science and is more restrictive than any other state. Neonicotinoids <laughs> were developed in a large part because they are both effective and a safer alternative to previously used insecticides. DPR is currently preparing new neonicotinoid regulations that will be the most restrictive in the nation. As a part of this process, DPR has already reviewed the current regulatory requirements for neonicotinoids in urban and home settings and found that additional action is not necessary. This echoes the findings of the EPA and its scientific advisory panels. Both the EPA and DPR have aggressive regulations and commitment to pollinator protection as appropriate. More anti-science mandates are unnecessary. And it goes on and it wraps up here. We trust that Newsom, with a simple veto, will keep neonicotinoid regulations where they belong in the hands of regulatory experts and sciences. I don't have that level of confidence, I'll tell you right now. Um, but it's it's it, it, even though this is a uh, uh, a, uh, a a guest you know write up here, I think I think it's pretty easy to say that the sentiment here is that. Uh, government should not be the the one who's creating the rules here. Let our the the amount the shit tons of money we pour into these scientific advisory bodies, uh, you know, do what they do best and execute the things we ask them to execute, namely, like uh, making sure we're protected and and uh, the environment's protected when we when we uh, use these types of tools. This is. Talk talk to me, Demay, uh, because when I 
I wasn't sure how much sarcasm was in this as I was reading it. And I was, I was kind of up and down, up and down, up and down. And, uh, and I, I think it's, I think it's real heavily laced with, uh, with, with sarcasm, but I'm not sure. I mean, I think there's a little bit in there, but, but the biggest and most important thing is that, you know, they're trying to say that, well, we want to have science dictate this. And if you look at the bill, the way it's written, it gives an, an, an uh, insurmountable amount of, of power to the state legislature. And I think that's the one thing that we're going to have to watch as we go forward here is in some of these states that want to push bans and start uh, you know, going down this road, what kind of uh, power do they give to regulatory bodies versus legislative bodies? And that is the scary, slippery slope that we're on here. Without a doubt, I'm over here hitting buttons that I shouldn't be hitting, and uh, I'm sure that's going to give Jay Pink a heart attack because we have enough difficulties on uh, the the technical side of things here. Uh, how insect interactions vary by height in turf grass. Uh, this is from Entomology Today, and I'm not going to go through this with extreme detail, but there's a lot to kind of unpack here. Uh, scientists who tricked arthropod predators of turf grass pests into chomping on fake clay caterpillars have revealed how life and death struggles hidden in the greenery could result in a huge plus for natural pest control on lawns, golf courses, and side farms. Experiments using the fakes in Bermuda grass, a key warm season turf grass, show that predators are most active close to the ground, according to a paper published this month in the Open Access Journal of Insect Science. Uh, and we can pro provide a link to that. Well, I tell you what, it's right here in the article, and uh, we will have a link to the article in our show notes. Um, and then you'll be able to see exactly how they conducted this trial. Uh, and and this is this is pretty interesting because I feel like it, anybody who has attempted over uh, uh, a, a decade or longer of managing pest populations has found. Um, it's sometimes, you, you know, what, what you have to do when you're planning your spray strategy is figuring out how to get your pesticide application beyond the canopy of the grass, right? And, uh, and so here we kind of have a study that is co-signing our bullshit in that regard and, uh, and good on them. I'm not going to go through the intimate details of the, uh, of, uh, the, the study just because, um, I, I don't think there's really anything here. Uh, that is just absolutely novel. Uh, I think this has all been observed, but now we have data to uh, to, to co-sign that observation and uh, and and put it put it more into the into the fact side of the category here. Uh, the EPA targets turf grass fungicide. Uh, agency proposes to ban all uses of pentachloron nitrobenzene. Managing snow mold and other fungus problems on turf grass is about to get more challenging. Golf course operators and others who work to keep turf grass disease free will no longer be able to use the fungicide. Pentachloronitrobenzene, PCNB, under a proposed decision announced September 23rd by the U.S. EPA. The EPA wants to cancel all uses of PCNB, citing risks to human health and the environment. In addition to use on turf grass, PCNB can be applied to potatoes and coal crops, such as broccoli and kale, as well as to ornamentals. The chemical and its degradates are persistent to the environment, bioaccumulate in aquatic organisms, and can travel long distances, according to the EPA. In 2021, the EPA identified risks with PCNB to human health, including adverse effects on the thyroid. The assessment found risk to bystanders from spray drift and to users of athletic fields. The EPA claims 
claims the viable fungicide alternatives to PCMB exist. Those chemicals include azoxystrobin, uh, pyroclostrobin, tebuconazole, propiconazole, and others, the agency says. The EPA also suggests crop rotation of the biopesticide Bacillus subtilis as alternatives to PCMB. Mm, of course, the old Bacillus subtilis recommendation there. And uh, and then, you know, of course, you can see the comments that were submitted to the EPA. Uh, golf Course Superintendents Associated of America says a ban on PCMB will have negative consequences on the golf course management. Golf Course Superintendents could have to use products that are more expensive and use more products to make up for the lost PCMB. Uh, you would most likely use two or three other actives to make up for the efficacy of PCMB. Uh, so anyway, this is still in the proposed ban section. And I, I do not know enough about this active ingredient. This is never an active ingredient that I've ever knowingly used, um, at least in, in residential lawn care. And in fact, this is probably not even labeled for residential lawn care. I could be wrong on that, but I've never used it in residential lawn care. So it's going to be hard for me to say. Um, however, when the EPA is identifying risks that include adverse effects to the thyroid uh, and risk to bystanders from spray drift and users of athletic fields, you know, it's going to be hard to argue that we need to keep this uh, uh, available for use in those type scenarios. Or if they aren't left available for use in those types of scenarios, you know, it's, there's going to have to be, you know, is it, is it more intense um, uh, uh, training that's going to have to occur, you know, is the, uh, the providers and manufacturers of this going to have to sink more money into doing more outreach it's, to keep this a reality? I don't know. I don't know what the answer it's gonna is. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Uh, I mean, this is a widely used fungicide in the north uh, for snowmobile prevention, right? And it's incredibly inexpensive. It's incredibly effective. It is, it's got some issues, you know, from an environmental standpoint. So I, you know, I, I can't say that uh, I'd be sad to see it go away, but I know it's going to hurt a lot of people, right? Where they're talking about, uh, yeah, now you really do need two or three actives um, to make something work in these high pressure situations, right? You wouldn't use this stuff if it was like, hey, we get moderate snowfall, maybe up to you know twenty five, thirty inches a year. I mean, these are the places that are using this like wall to wall on a golf course that see, you know, forty, fifty, sixty inches plus a year that are covered in snow for long periods of time. And so it's been a reliable uh, a go-to uh, for a long, long time for people. And so, you know, the concern is, is, you know, what's, what's left on the backside and uh, that's going to be, you know, turf that, that gets dinged up. That's what it's going to be. And so uh, I don't know, fellas, like I said, more, more stuff under review and this won't be the last that goes away. You know, I again, this is one of those instances where if we are indeed causing problems to people thyroid thyroids that are exposed to this, I'm not going to argue for it to remain in 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 use. You know, uh, especially in situations where it's going to be in close contact with people. Again, I haven't personally done any research on this active because I've never personally used this active. Uh, do you know how many times I've seen snow mold in my in my life? Uh, less than the number of fingers I have on one hand, right? So uh, not really a, a concern for me, and I've never even heard of the active ingredient, so that tells you my level of uh, vested interest in it uh, up to this point. But it's at least something that now that the the um, uh, the proposed ban for it is on the docket, something that we will most certainly keep our eyes on. 
Uh, the future of New York's farm ministry in wake of reduced hours for overtime pay. Anybody working on a farm will no longer have to work more than a 60-hour work week to qualify for overtime pay starting in 2024. The Department of Labor Commissioner announced they will be eligible after 40 hours on the clock by 2034. Farmers have concerns, but uh, so do some workers we spoke to. Many who are immigrants and seasonal workers send most of their paychecks back home to family. So if hours are reduced because farms can't afford excessive overtime to complete a harvest, they lose money. For 22 years, Victor Hernandez has worked the Maple Ridge Fruit Farm in Wayne County after immigrating from Mexico. He worries this new law could soon cap his hours at 40 hours a week, making him lose money he sends back to his parents while putting his kids through college. To stay at 60 hours would be good because I can get more money to get a more better life for my family. Uh, but this coming down to 40 hours, I'll lose 20 hours a week, which is a lot of money for myself. I'd be doing better to stay at 60 hours than coming down to 40. Uh, to make up for those finances, Victor's, Victor feels he may have to work a second job, which is likely to pay him less than he does for farming another 20 hours a week. If I'm working 40 hours here, I'll need to go work another job for another 10 to 20 hours because I won't get overtime at this job. I'll need to make more money for my family and bills because everything is expensive. It, it goes on and continues on into this. And I, you know, it's, this is a double-edged sword and I, and I don't feel like there's really a winner in, in however this shakes out. Right. Because in in one instance, right. They're saying, well, us labor laws are anytime after f over 40 hours, uh, then you know you get uh, you you get overtime, right? That's that's kind of the normal thing. I will say that in salary positions, it, it, uh, with in certain states, anything over forty or fifty hours, whatever the designated time slot is, you get half what your uh, uh, salary would be per hour as as like uh, overtime. Um, I know that happened to me at a couple places I work where you get you get paid half your. Uh, hourly equivalent of your salary over over forty hours or forty five or fifty hours I can't remember what it was uh, here in you know what's unique about agriculture is that they, you get sixty before they start paying overtime right and now they're saying that if they bring this back to forty um, then uh, uh, and they start having to pay time in half over forty then all of a sudden they're going to start capping everybody's hours at forty and just call it good um, and the other thing too is that. Uh, I, I can't remember if I heard this on the Freakonomics podcast or what, but it was, is it more effective to pay fewer people uh, more money with overtime than it would be to pay more people straight time? And, I, and I, if I recall correctly, and I could be remembering this backwards, it was cheaper to pay more people straight time than it was to pay fewer people, or am I saying that backwards? I don't know. I can't remember, um, but that was either going to co-sign or go against my my own argument I had for the article here, and uh, so I can't I can't remember what the outcome was. Uh, but case in point, you know, on one instance you got the farmer that says, "Look, I want the fucking sixty hours." I mean, you've got the farm worker that says, "I want the sixty hours." You got the farmer that's saying, "I can't afford to pay uh, uh, one and a half over 40. And uh, so you're going to get capped at 40 and, and it's a, it's a lose, lose. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the tough part here is that uh, the whole system is based on, on one set of principles, right? One, one set of, uh, I don't know if you want to call them rules necessarily, but yeah, I guess rules in the sense of how people have built their businesses, right. And the structure of their businesses. And so it, it's this uncertainty, right? That's what screws this stuff up is the uncertainty. Now, when it comes to the overtime versus straight time thing, it's only, only, only if you can have and get enough employees to work those straight time hours, right? So 
depending on how skilled the position is or what have you, right? That becomes, uh, you know, sort of the issue. And it's not exactly a whole bunch of uh, citizens or residents of the United States that are tripping over themselves to get work in the agricultural or horticultural. Field. Time's we know up, it's that. over. That's right, see? That's, Time's up. And that's exactly why there, there are so many H-2B workers already in this field, right? Because but they're struggling only, for labor. But we're capped on H-2B too, right? It's like, what, 85, mm-hmm. 86,000? So, you yep. know, if there's going to be something that saves our industry is, uh, you know, and I know this, I know there are tons of, uh, I shouldn't say tons, there are quite a few, uh, you know, firms that use H-2B. And if you're not familiar with that, basically like a lottery type system where you say, you know, Matt could say that, hey, his company needs 30 workers and they've tried everything they can to hire American workers and they would like to bring in contract workers from, uh, you know, other parts of the world. And in many cases, this is the Caribbean, uh, Central America, Latin America, that sort of thing, right? And um, it works out sometimes. It, works, it doesn't work out other times. There's, there's, I think, Matt, we've talked about here on the show, there's been several companies here locally that didn't get their workers and just basically said, hey, we're done. I'm not, I'm not pissing around with this anymore. And so, you know, go belly up and be done. But in, uh, in- if... You got to take the caps off those. It's it's just gonna ha- it's gonna have to happen. That is that's the easiest answer for our industry is to remove the caps from the H two B situation and allow employers to go through the you know the, the regular immigration process and sponsor workers to come over here and get their green card. That's it. And for for anybody that wants to to start throwing shade out there and saying that H two B workers are treated unfairly and they're paid you know bottom dollar and all this lick lick my taint no they're not uh, anybody that's ever gone through the H two B process first off uh, it is a very very intense process it's a very expensive process and uh, and and three is that you if if there is even an inkling of uh, mal intent towards the H2B workers, you will be hung up to dry instantaneously. And that goes from everything to pay to quality of life. You have to provide housing and residency for the time they're here. You have to provide reliable transportation for the time they're here. It ain't, it ain't no joke. This is not, you're not, you're not going to, uh, 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 a Home Depot parking lot and finding someone that is just absolutely desperate and offering them five bucks an hour. That's not how that works. And if you think that is the case, you need to pull your head out of your ass because uh, that is that is not reality. This is not 1962 anymore that we're living in. So uh, get your get your ish together, uh, gentlemen. Let's check out this week's Joe Knows Turf. <laughs> Welcome back, Rick. Joe Knows Turf. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Joe knows turf. <laughs> yes, yes, Joe does know turf. And uh, what do you have on the radar for us today, Mister Demay? Well, uh, you know, real Shakespeare over here today. I, I I get sent this stuff, and you know it's not as uh, deplorable as what we were talking about in our pre-show, but it pains me to do this segment sometimes, and this is going to be one that that pains me to show what this is, and 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 let's just kind of unpack it. I don't know that it'll take us all ten minutes, but we've got a lot of burns to get through. So, J Pink, 
go ahead and let's run that video that I sent you that was sent to me here. And this is brought to us by uh, oh boy. a gentleman who's known as the longest, L-A-N-G-E-S-T, Yard. And he's on uh, the typical social media outlets. I think he's got a YouTube channel. So this Tell me, me he's not said, doing what I think he's doing. <laughs> Go ahead and press play on that video, please. I wake in the morning and I step outside and I take a deep breath and get real high. Oh, for Christ's sake. That's exactly what I was wondering. What was going on there? Uh, J-Pink, can you oh, mute dude. that and just keep it running in the background so that way I can, uh, you know, in the in the topic of pre-show where where I I don't know, this might be the catalyst that sends me over the uh, the the no more imp, imp, empathy edge is, is this right here. What are we watching here, Demay? I, I, this is a gentleman that is spraying his lawn uh, with his young, I'm going to say, uh, under a year old. Is that, yeah. is that fair to say? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not great at babies you know, figuring out height. I'm gonna really? Say he's probably 10, 11 months old, maybe at the most. Uh, on Seriously. The back, on the carrier, <laughs> and he's spraying something out of a hose end sprayer all over his lawn. Now, hey, listen. Surely. Surely. Maybe it's just humic 12 or something. That's like rock that. juice. Even if it's not, even if it's not, is this, again, is this the image that needs to be portrayed to the public and others? And maybe he'll come on here and he'll say, oh, this was a joke. It was a hoax. It was, uh, you know, me goofing around. This, that. Yeah. Listen, uh, and, and I'm sure that we'll get, you know, beat up for this or whatever, but it's not a good joke. We have, listen. I'll, t- I'll take this ass kicking. If you, yeah, listen. If you want to find out about tasteless jokes, come on this show. We do them for about six hours a week. It's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) But this gentleman, uh, we got to do better than this, right? Is this the image that you want to see of your industry or even the folks that are trying, the DIYers, right? I think he talks about how he's a DIYer in in his YouTube and everything like that, which I get, but it ain't funny, man. And if it's serious... It's seriously fucked up. <laughs> Again, those of you that are listening you know, to audio only. Never in my lifetime. The audio only. Never in my lifetime. Ray, can you describe <laughs> what you're seeing on the screen right now? Oh, yeah, that's right. We have, we have to visually describe this. Okay. What I'm seeing is a man with a hosen sprayer misting Lord knows what into the air, and he's carrying a child. No. The reason why this is alarming to me is I remember when I was about, oh, three, four years ago, and I got yanked by my arm away from a freshly sprayed field. Okay? I got yanked. What happened? And and yet, this so-called father thinks it's okay to expose his child to whatever's in that bottle. I mean, what is wrong with this? <laughs> and again, I hope it's something inert like humic acid or, uh, you, you know, I, I mean, even if it was sea kelp, I, I wouldn't even want to do that. But, 
Um, I, I, and to your point about the state of the industry debate, again, we can type in, we've, we covered the New York Times article, the big video expose they had about, you know, the danger of American lawns. You can type in lawns in America in the top of Google here. And, you know, again, Scientific American, the American obsession with lawn, uh, the history of the American lawn, uh, designing an end to the toxic yard, uh, the great American lawn, how the dream was manufactured, uh, how lawns became a status symbol in America, the strange psychology of the American lawn, uh, the intriguing history of the American lawns, uh, death of the American lawn, uh, how important are lawns in America? And it goes on to say, not at all. Uh, a rant about lawns in America. Why is, is America obsessed with lawns? The dark history of American lawns. We're not in a good position right now, right? Not at all. Not at all. To the point, to the point where it is something that genuinely creeps into my mind in the middle of the night and I have to go fight with people on Twitter because I'm I'm actually scared about what the next 10 years are going to look at for lawns in America. And this again and I and I go back and I was many many years ago I was really hard on Ginger for uh creating a uh, a leprechaun brew as he called it uh, that included uh, glyphosate that he was mixing with his bare hand and licking it off his thumb and I was talking about how absolutely idiotic it is that someone who is a business owner, who is a representative of our industry, would do something like that knowing the pressure that's on our industry and knowing the pressure that's on glyphosate right now for the laughs. And I and I and maybe this guy is like in this headspace where he thinks, oh, I'm showing how I include my children in this. But in reality, what what this is, is that this is an this is attention seeking behavior. And it's unfortunately going to attract the wrong kind of attention uh, because that is the kind of thing that will show up in a New York Times article and then. He'll feel great about it because he got mentioned in New York Times, but the content of the New York Times article is going to draw on the 150,000 people. They're going to be like, this is why we need to ban every lawn in America. Everything needs to be a cactus in a yard garden. Matt, you know what this reminds me of, actually? These old magazine ads from the 1950s. Because I remember seeing this reprint of a magazine ad where the father was dusting some ant mounds and his kids were running around nearby. Except, guess what was in the? Guess what was in the can? No idea. Mm, chloridane dust. Oh yeah, just a little chloridane. It's kind of like it's kind of yeah. like when my mom was a kid, and the crop dusters were coming to fly over the fields, and they'd run out, and she got crop dusted by one thing, and it sent her into a seizure and almost killed her. And uh, and then you no mm -hmm. longer ran out in the fields when they were being crop dusted. You know, again, yep. you know what what we have learned over over the last uh, uh, hundred years of modern agriculture is that there are some things you don't do. There's a lot of things you don't do, and that's easily parlayable over into what we do in lawn care. And again, I hope your attention-seeking behavior got you the clicks that you needed, and uh, and I hope it satisfied that part of your brain that desires the uh, the <laughs> click fest. Uh, but unfortunately, what I'm going to ask you to do is get the fuck out of my industry, and uh, and that's all I'm going to have to say about that. Uh, we have an ex boy. 
Ray, I don't know if you've taken a look at our Burns list here, but it is it is on point. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into this week's Burns. Oh, Lord. We're just, we're just, we're going to go. We, you know what? La, 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 la. Oh. Fire! <laughs> I was on the wrong one mentally. Oh, uh, shut up, Sheila. My shortcut definitely went straight to Frozen to May. It's okay. It's all right. Um, the first one we are going to talk about here, and this is going to be a little bit of a twofer, so bear with me as I kind of go through both of these here. Um, actually, you know what, J-Pink, I see these are kind of out of order, and I'm reordering this as I'm going to start this first one, so bear with me as I, as I kind of kill time here to get that adjusted. Okay, it should be good on your end now. Uh, the Wisconsin Department of Justice stands up for farmers by joining lawsuit against pesticide makers monopolizing the market. And let me get this out of here is that this is a long time coming. And the fact that it has just now made it to the front page news is uh, a little bit shocking to me, to be honest. Uh, I thought this would have happened a long time ago, but every year that passed, you're kind of like, oh, well, another year. No one's actually saying anything about it. The Wisconsin DOJ is joining the Federal Trade Commission in nine other states in a lawsuit to stand up against two of the largest pesticide makers in the United States. The suit alleges that companies are monopolizing the market and harming farmers. A release from the DOJ uh, a law, uh, states a lawsuit filed Thursday in the U.S. District Court of Middle District of North Carolina accuses pesticide makers Syngenta and Corteva of using loyalty programs to force generic competitors out of the market. The program rewards distributors with rebates for selling these companies' products on one condition. The distributor keeps sales of comparable generic products under a low threshold. According to the DOJ, the normal process of the pesticide market allows companies such as Syngenta and Cordiva to develop, patent, and register active ingredients in their products and take advantage of their commercial potential for several years. After those protections expire, generic manufacturers can then enter the market with the products with the same active ingredients. The DOJ says the competition for the generic generic products causes dramatic price reductions, which helps consumers and farmers. But Syngenta and Cortiva are allegedly skirting around the competition by incentivizing distributors to sell their products even after their protections have expired. The complaint says these practices cost farmers many millions of dollars a year. Uh, hardworking Wisconsin farmers shouldn't have to pay improperly inflated, improperly inflated prices for crop protection products. I'm proud to join the FTC in nine other states and working to hold Syngenta and Cortiva accountable for their alleged anti-competitive practices. All right. Now, I've got a little bit of inside baseball here, and uh, without a doubt, 100%, what Cortiva and Syngenta are doing is, I don't know the legal side of this, right? But I can say that from an ethical standpoint, it is sure as shit on the shady side of things, right? And first off, to be a distributor and even distribute Syngenta and or Cortiva, you have to agree to sell X number of millions of dollars. And it ain't like one or two millions of dollars. It's in the uh, eight figure millions of dollars and in the, the mid to high, uh, uh, in, the, in the mid range of eight figures in order to be able to carry that. And here's the thing is that if you miss, you don't get to sell it anymore. It's gone. It's done from you. And so it is, it is incredibly, and what, so what that does by having that kind of, of, of insanely high threshold uh, is your your sales reps as a, as a distributor are going to have to push Syngenta and Cortiva products for the overwhelming majority of the year because 
if they don't hit those minimums, they're going to lose distribution rights. And the people that want the new Syngenta or Cortiva product that's out uh, is going to go to another distributor where they can get it. And so it is it is a shitty, shitty situation that is, and I agree 100%, it absolutely forces out the little guy. And in the the agricultural industry as a whole, the green industry as a whole, is incredibly monopolized. And I would argue, now I don't know enough about all the other industries out there, so take what I say with a grain of salt. I'm probably wrong. But I would argue that the agricultural industry, because it is still primarily, I will say the green industry as a whole, not just agriculture, the green industry as a whole, is arguably the most monopolized industry left because it is still dominated by the good old boy system. And uh, it's not a matter of what you know in this industry. It is a matter of who you know in this industry when it comes to long-term viability. Uh, and in fact, you can get through an entire career not knowing a effing thing about growing a plant or growing a crop, whether it's corn or turf grass or a sports field or whatever the case may be. You can skirt by without knowing a damn thing if you know the right people and you just don't fuck up enough. So um, I'm actually glad to see this come up and to add a little bit of flame to the fire in the moments leading up to us coming live. Guess who else jumped on board? Nebraska. Nebraska says, F you. I want in on this too. High five, boys. Let's go to court. So uh, this went from good to, in my opinion, better. And, uh, and who knows, maybe by the end of it, we'll have 50 states on board and then I'll consider it great. Uh, but I, I 100% think this needs to happen, and I think it needs to go well beyond pesticide manufacturing uh, in regards to the monopolization of the green industry as a whole. Hot take. Uh, th- this, this particular situation here uh, is kind of sort of done in a, in a way that's not as overt is what you're seeing here in the ag market, but with, um, you know, in in a certain sense with turf, right, where you have agency manufacturers, right? So the big companies that, in their defense, they will say, well, hey, we're the ones who are doing, uh, you know, all the R&D, bringing, uh, you know, active ingredients, new active ingredients to the market, right? And they're taking them mostly from, you know, the ag market and then taking them down into turf, right? So process to get those registered is not short and it's not cheap so i understand that aspect of it right that it is uh it's an arduous process a long process but you also have a period of i believe it's still 17 years right with that patent that you own it that's what it is right yeah and i think from that point forward you you resign yourself to the fact that hey there are going to be you know generic or what we call off patent um you know, products that come into the marketplace and are virtually the same thing in many cases, not all the cases, but many cases. And I think now, if if anything, with the situation that we've had with supply chains and logistics and things like that, the tables have probably, I would think, this is just me speculating, but think have been sort of leveled even more because I don't think there's any more high quality and low quality as there would have been maybe five or 10 years ago. I think it's mm-hmm. as long as you can put it in a box or a bottle, Fucking ship it. Let's go. 
So I don't know, Ray. What do you? Where Where do you land on the whole using generic products, right, in lieu of of uh, agency products? And where does this Where does this land for you? Uh oh, Ray's muted. Ray cannot hear you. See if your mic can turn back on. Uh, you know, I still do not have you, Ray. Ray's looking off the camera now. He he was giving it the tap tap to see if it would come back on, but it has it has not. Um, it, you know, and we I see, I see this on the fertilizer side of things too, right? You know, it's fun. I, I was talking was it last week? I was talking about early order program, and uh, and it's amazing some of the things you'll see come out of the early order program. And I'm not going to say who it is, but uh, there is a company on uh, the eastern side of the United States that dropped their price by over 60% at the time of EOP, right? And knowingly, this is sold so far, so far into the loss. It's, it's, they are taking such a gigantic loss on this. But what I, the only thing I can figure out is that because of the of the shift in um, uh, uh, the, the the way that when you're buying commodities right now, no one is being extended credit, and uh, and any credit that is extended, it's very 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 short term and it's very very high interest, right? And my thought is is that they're selling it, you know, allocating X number of tons at, at a shitload of a loss purely to tie up cash flow. So people aren't going to go buy other things, right? Uh, so it's lock up that cash flow because they know if it's locked up here, they can't go and make those other purchases, commodity purchases uh, because they're not going to have the free cash for the lack of terms that are existing out there. They're like, look, we'll give you terms and we're going to discount it to Holy Hill. Sign it up right here with us. And then you can go, you know, you're not going to be able to go anywhere else. And it's this weird kind of thing that's taking place. Is it illegal? I don't think so. Is it ethical? Probably not. Uh, and but it's 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 these strange games, and I and I'm sure this happens in other industries, and I'm just not ingrained in it enough to 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 be you know cognizant of it, right? But where we used to have you know, and I'm I'm going to use hypothetical numbers out there. We'll say you know this time 30 years ago we had 20 manufacturers. Now we're down to two comparatively, and that's probably pretty accurate in terms of ratios. I'm not saying there's literally two, but uh, a reduction by 10, uh, uh, by 10x less number of manufacturers. And that's not because they just shut down and went out out of business. It's because of accumulations, right? And acquisitions. You know, again, the big one to point at here is you you remember Agrium that used to be around? Uh, remember Potash Corp that used to be around? Uh, do you remember uh, Coke Turf and Ornamental that used to be around? Do you remember Turf Care Supply that used to be around? Those don't exist anymore. Now you've got Nutrien. Now you've got Allied Nutrients, right? And this has been happening over and over and over and over. And what happens is, is that before long is that you're all buying the same thing from the same people, but... It used to come from 10 different people. Now it's always down, it's only down to two. And it's just weird. And I, and I don't know if that level of monopolization occurs in any other industry like we see here right now. How many places in the United States can you get phosphorus from? 
you've got Mosaic, right? That's the last one that is a U.S. company that's that's going to be dealing with this. If you want sulfate of potash, how many companies in the United States are you going to get it from? You got one. You got Compass Minerals. That's it. That's it. If you want potash in the United States, potassium chloride, where are you going to get it? It's coming out of nutrient. That is the only one you're going to be able to get, unless you're tendering a 110,000-ton load from overseas somewhere. That's the only method of competition we have left in, in, in North America. And it's just weird that it's been reduced and allowed to be reduced to this point. Wasn't the whole function of government to be to, to pre- prevent monopolization to occur with this? I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're doing a very good job. But at least now someone's standing up and saying, all right, we let it go for way too long. We need to do something about this. Uh, <laughs> we've, all right, listen. We've been talking about the food supply being in tight order for quite a while now. And I want to I want to point to a couple of things here that are, are just again, this is going to be more things that you hear coming down the pipeline that is going to affect it. And is going to, you know, again, when we're talking about inflated food prices, I'm not going to say shortages are going to show up here in the United States. It might be for this particular crop. Uh, but uh, what does exist, we're going to see we're going to see just exorbitant prices continue to climb and, you know, add that to our CPI uh, cherries. Uh, deep frozen sour cherries from Coughlin. Uh, turns out they are contaminated with pesticides dimethoate and omethoate. And uh, the product K Classic Freshly Harvested Sour Cherries Deep Frozen 750 Grams with the best before date of November 2024 is effective. The batch numbers are LP2145DL7 and LP2145AL7. And uh, and you know, oops, we got we got a little uh, we got we got a little. Oh, bad, bad deal with the with the herbicides here, it's and this batch. particular these particular pesticides are linked to uh, Parkinson's disease, childhood leukemia, uh, increase of liver and breast cancer, type two diabetes, asthma, allergies, obesity, and, and endocrine disorders, malformations, premature births, and gross disorders can also be attributed to contact with these pesticides. So. Yeah, According I, to I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. don't know where that came from. Right. Yeah, Talk because to me. what is dimethoate and omethoate? Okay, dimethoate and omethoate are straight from the 1960s. Ooh. What those are are highly systemic organophosphate insecticide miticides. And oh, so good and safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing: is I'm very well familiar with the acute toxicity of something like dimethoate or omethoate because, in fact, dimethoate was actually one of my standbys up until about year 2000. I used to use a lot of dimethoate because imagine this, Matt, on a tree or a shrub. Inject a few milliliters of the four pound per gallon concentrate into the root system of the tree. Say bye bye to the aphids. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like an application of dinotephron or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Except there were some precautions. However, it is very not surprising to see. Dimethoate and omethoate on fruit trees because 
a lot of the actual fruit growers and producers will tell you, for example, they don't like pyrethroids and neonicotinoids in their orchards. They don't like them. Because oftentimes what happens is you apply the newer chemistry and you are creating problems for yourself. Whereas something like dimethoate or omethoate, I, I know for a fact that you do that, you will not have a spider mite flare afterward. Yeah, and you know how this ends up in the the front. And here's the other thing too: is that they did catch this, and they did get out ahead of it, and they do have a recall. Uh, so at least that part is working, right? And uh, and that's that's exactly what you know food producers are 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 supposed to do, and they they did it, and and they they got it, and then now and now it's off. So, um, but. In terms of anybody who's out there in 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 big fans of frozen cherries, get ready because you're about to feel the heat on that one probably. Well, uh, go ahead. I was going to ask. Say, would you you know would you rather have a bad batch of cherries or a bad batch of acid? As someone who has partaken in the latter, uh, no frozen I'm not cherries. To have a bad batch of cherries. I love cherries. Oh. oh. Oh, I love cherries. I'll take I'll take bad cherries all day long, but let me tell you, you're you're really flirting with never coming back on a bad batch of acid, is all I'm saying. <laughs> trust me. Trust me, Demay. Trust right. me. I trust you. <laughs> uh, the most expensive crop in decades. Farmers face higher stakes than ever with inflation. Uh, Evansville, Indiana, which is uh, the armpit of Owensboro, Kentucky, which I spent way too many years in. Uh, by now, the corn is taller than he is. The green vigor of the bean leaves are beginning to fade as the crop dries out. Uh, a 40-year farmer, Cron, uh, is, remembers the farming crisis of the 80s, a time when high interest rates sent farm debt soaring. Many families lost their farms. Agriculture now finds itself on the verge of another crisis again, as farmers face growing inflation and even higher stakes. Those that produce much of the nation's corn and soy, as well as raise its livestock, are used to battling the weather. This growing season, however, they are battling skyrocketing costs. Uh, and we have been talking about this since, oh, last summer. And, uh, and it's not just fertilizer prices, it's pesticide prices, it's, it's, it's crop protection prices, it's seed prices. It's knucking futs. Uh, here we go. Regardless of the national, what the national inflation numbers say, it costs the farmer about 40% more to grow the crop this year compared to two years ago, said Chad Lee, an agronomy professor at the University of Kentucky. The price of essentially every aspect of farming, seed, fertilizer, fuel, equipment, etc., has continued to tick upward and by startling amounts. Some farmers have seen costs double and triple, and that's if they can even get the supplies they need. Already tight supply chains carried over from pandemic disruptions and extreme weather events coupled with Russia's invasion of Ukraine are creating a new sense of uncertainty for farmers. You had uncertainty in your fertilizer supply. You had uncertainty in some of your agrochemical supply. And then you had the uncertainty of weather. Farmers are used to dealing with the weather. It was the other things they're not used to seeing that and all things combined create the perfect storm uh again we've been talking about this for a long time it hasn't gone anywhere <laughs> it's okay now I, I will say that from a supply standpoint i haven't heard anything right now that we're going to run out of fertilizer yeah i have not heard that at all 
what I do continue to hear is uh, fertilizer prices are somewhat stable right now, but they're still up 3x. So, you know, what do you do about that? The big unknown is going to be what comes out of China right now uh, because we are rolling into pesticide purchasing season and nobody <laughs> knows. Nobody knows what's going to be allocated to the rest of the year. There's a lot of companies. You know, Syngenta is trying to shift a metric shit ton of production over to India to hedge against this right now. And how much of that is too little too late? We don't know. We won't know until we get into the buying season. But I have heard uh, that uh, from the, uh, 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 the, the, the people that put out this kind of information that Syngenta is uh uh taking no chances whatsoever and uh and which is what is interesting because who who owns syngenta china kim china yes kim, kim so china and syngenta and owned by kim china is so freaked out by themselves that they're shifting production to india as aggressively as possible boys we have entered ha peak round world uh matt i have a little more inside baseball okay the the reason why I think Syngenta slash Kim China needs to get out of China and outsource elsewhere is I got a little thing in my news feed this morning that said that China is doubling down on their zero COVID policy. And yep. zero COVID well Yeah, zero COVID means that Okay, China gives zero fucks who you are, what you do, etc. But if they think you're carrying sure. the the COVID virus, uh, you will be involuntarily incarcerated until such time that they deem you to no longer be a COVID carrier. Sometimes and in your place of business, like you'll be locked up there. Yeah, actually. They will literally, it is not a joke that I'm the CCP, <laughs> the CCP will weld people into their building. That is not a joke. That actually does happen. Beep. Beep. <laughs> so. Zip tie you to a permagreen, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what that means for. What's that, what's that movie? Weekend at Burnings. Burnings. I'll be yeah. dead on a permagreen. <laughs> Add to it. Yeah, a company that is trying to do business, how are they supposed to do business, fulfill their, their orders, etc., when they are under COVID quarantine? How are they supposed to get anything done? Because you know what China's idea of a quarantine is? You will be welded into a building if, if needed. No ifs or buts. And how are you supposed to move product? Your building is sealed. Yeah, but I need my product. I mean, no. And how are your workers, your 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 staff? How is your staff supposed to? Oh, right. Go to work and do so, their sorry. job. Scan your when, QR code here, and we'll determine your credit score if you're available to apply Prodamine this year. Yeah. Yeah, or, or scan or scan your scan your QR code to see if you are now a COVID carrier. And at that point, what happens is 
if you flash red on that QR reader, guess what happens to you? Uh, uh, China Health comes, picks you up, and you, you, you get a 14-day stay at the COVID hotel. Well, maybe, just maybe, right? <laughs> In the wake of all this, you know, product uncertainty potentially, and Matt's right, I don't think we're going to run out of fertilizer, but when it comes to, uh, you know, some of the products that we're used to having uh, available easily, cheaply, all that kind of stuff, it might just be you got to get your hands on which, whatever you can get. And so, you know, some of those programs that you lay out for next year, guys, you know how, uh, this is what I was thinking of when, I, when it just came to mind, was, you know, at the end of the year for the school lunch, you know, it always have the calendar and it told you what you're going to get. You know, it's chicken nugget day, it's pizza day, it's this, that. At the end of the year, at least where I went to school, it was always the last week was Cook's Choice, which basically meant whatever's fucking left in the freezer is what you little assholes are going to get. <laughs> And I got a feeling there's going to be some people that pull up this year on their truck, you know, pull the permagreen off, Matt, and just say, hey, it's a good choice. I'll spray whatever the hell I can get my hands on and see if we can take care of them weeds. That's the way it goes. Uh, and, Matt, here's a little fun fact. Uh, you know what I can't help but notice? FMC products. A lot of their active ingredients are manufactured in China. Did you know that? New Farm. Yeah, New Farm, Valent. Yeah, New Farm. Well, well, mo- well some of Syngentas, Cortivas. Well, a lot of Syngentas. And you know who's the holdout in this, bless them, is beer. Because beer manufacturers in Germany and the United States. And they even have manufacture in Japan, too. So, you know, beer's a little different. But this whole COVID situation has kind of, I guess, made all of the manufacturers, et cetera, rethink the viability of outsourcing their manufacture to the People's Republic of China. I think this has made them think a lot because you see with COVID, there is no negotiation with the Chinese government regarding COVID. I mean, this is the one time and place where I've seen the Chinese government absolutely dig in and not give a centimeter. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out because I promise we will be here to armchair quarterback the holy shit out of it. Uh, that is for <laughs> sure. Uh, some farmers are hesitant to go organic, and I can't say I blame them. Uh, in the 1970s, when George Naylor <laughs> said he wanted to grow organic crops, the idea didn't go over well. Back then, orga- organic crops were an oddity. Designed for health food stores and maybe a few farmers. Uh, I told my dad I wanted to be an organic farmer, and he goes, ha, 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 Naylor said. Uh, noting it wasn't until 2014 that he could embrace his dream and begin transitioning from standard organic crops. 
But over the decades, something unexpected happened. Demand for organic started increasing so fast that it began outstripping the supply produced in the United States. Now, a challenge has emerged. It's not getting consumers to pay the higher prices. It's convincing enough farmers to get past their organic reluctance and start taking advantage of the revenue pouring in. Uh, instead of growing to meet the demand, the number of farmers converting to organic is actually dropping. Last month, the U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture committed up to $300 million to recruit and help more farmers make the switch. $300 million. Uh, it feels good. Doesn't mean it is good. Uh, the organic certifying organization, Oregon Tilth, referring to the government help. It's a milestone in the arc of this work. Uh, Schreiner, who has helped the Oregon-based uh, organization since 98, said expanding technical training is important given uh, the vast differences in farming land conventionally and organically. Uh, Schreiner uh, noted that one farmer told him that converting a conventional farm was like asking a foot doctor to become a heart surgeon. The key difference is the use <laughs> of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides, blah, 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 blah. And all right, so I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna you know pipe on and on about this. There's there's probably if if there's this is one uh, uh, person's take on why we're seeing organic acreage short. Uh, in in reality, is that there's there's probably something a little bit more going on than just this, and a lot of that could be the amount of labor it takes. To, uh, to 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 utilize organic farming, um, it's going to be the the land and rest periods that are undergoing. Uh, so it it sounds like yeah, you you may have this big revenue pouring in, but your costs are also going to be exceptionally higher as well too, and you're also dealing with lower yield. So while it sounds all fun and stuff on 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 paper and feel good and high fives. Uh, the economics of it don't make a ton of sense. Uh, out of Pakistan, there were uh, b- people got got popped with with fertilizer, uh, and by popped I mean like they're 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 going to jail. Uh, one had sixty bags of bio phosphate fertilizer (BOP), uh, and they also got caught with three hundred nineteen bags of single superphosphate, not triple superphosphate, single superphosphate. Uh, the the uh, assistant director of agriculture took samples from two dealers and sent them off for lab analysis. On the uh, report of raiding team, uh, the police have registered the cases against the owners. So do not hold on to uh, spurious fertilizers. I'm assuming those are fertilizers that are not, not properly labeled. In, uh, but it, let's be honest. It's bags of phosphorus for crying out loud. What have we come to when we are putting people in jail for holding bags of phosphorus? I don't understand. Uh, but that's why they're in Pakistan and we're in the United States, I guess. Uh, U.S. is challenging Mexico's import ban on corn. Uh, farmers and policymakers in the United States are urging the Mexican government to reconsider an impending ban on imports of genetically modified corn by 2024. Mexico's plan to prohibit the importation of the crop began in 2020 when Mexican President Andres uh, Obrador decreed he would eliminate the use of herbicide glyphosate and genetically modified corn in the country. If Mexico's Time's decrees on corn are fully, I hear you, bitch, uh, are fully implemented or <laughs> even partially implemented by December 31st, 2024 deadline, and that's really bad for a lot of U.S. export, and it's bad for the Mexican population. Uh, there's no doubt prices will increase on livestock feed and tortillas in the country because a lot of the corn we send is used in feedstock and corn is used to make tortillas. I, ah, man, this is one of those emotional decisions that are made that 
that are not that's not rooted in science and who is set to lose out in this scenario is it the president that made the decision is he going to be the one that suffers when all of a sudden there's not enough corn or is it going to be the average everyday mexican that's just trying to fucking survive out there in the world that all of a sudden we're not import the, your, your country's not important anymore because it feels bad on uh on on the emotional level when we're not really we're, we don't really have any data to say it's, it's it's bad in uh in the reality level of things i'm sorry this is just this is i i hate to say it, murderous in my opinion yeah this is and okay i want to know what is the actual downside of a corn you know field corn plant that happens to be containing the bt gene and contains the roundup ready gene because if it were so bad whoops i guess last week's dinner should have killed me because i did have a corn tortilla (laughs) you know i did have a corn tortilla (laughs) and i'm still here okay this is this is something that has again researched to holy hell, and there's mm-hmm. never been any definitive proof that this is wiping people out. This is not too far away from selective breeding, and uh, and selective breeding has been has been going on for literally since the beginning of agriculture, not even modern agriculture. That's how we got corn to grow in the first place. Uh, and was, that, was it, and- what? And here's here's one more thing, is that did you know that most fruits and vegetables, or specifically vegetables, have been selectively bred to resist pests? And do you know how they're bred to resist pests? How's that? Okay. These vegetables are selected due to their alkaloid and toxin content in their foliage and stems and and so here's the thing did you also know that children are inherently sensitive to a lot of those toxins and alkaloids so you know I don't get too upset about a kid that doesn't like broccoli, for example, because sure. that broccoli that broccoli has been selectively bred to be distasteful. You know, you it know has the, been bred but it's going to gonna, it's going to yield. Yeah, but it's going to yield. It's going to resist some pests, and that's an example of something where because we're dealing with non-specific non-selective toxins versus what's been engineered into say corn or soybeans for example you know there's actually more unknown effects because it has never been actually tested whereas do you know how much testing they've had to do for bt carrying corn tons yeah, they've had to test the heck out of it. Yeah, they've had to test the heck out of it. So I'm still 
waiting for all of the you know studies to come in and i'm not talking about these made-up studies where they're alleging alterations in the gut microflora for example because those studies are extremely questionable what were you going to say to i was going to say you know in in thinking about this in in research and it's just a touch i mean like this uh, there's there's a deep-seated issue with mexico and uh using uh, corn that is roundup ready for example and or uh gmo crops and so you know this, this definitely wasn't out of left field but it's definitely something that yeah, there's still not a lot of science behind what they're doing and the biggest fear uh from what i'm gathering is that uh they're the uh, USDA is not convinced that there is enough of the yellow corn, which is like for livestock feed. There's not enough of that that is non-GMO or non-Roundup ready that is going to be available in the world marketplace for Mexico to rely on. So yeah, again, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, do you do you press food food insecurity to satisfy your political agenda? Do so at yeah, your own peril. Welcome to 2022. I mean, yeah. in a nutshell, that is that is just, you you add okay, that you to the, the whiteboard of the of the shit we're seeing these days that make you want to literally bang your head through a glass plate glass. And and you see, here's here's where it's, where it's going to get really interesting is that I think we talked about it on a previous show. Here goes Mexico uh, on a crusade against uh, GMOs and glyphosate. Yet. My God, I know Mexico as the country that still has all the crazy pesticides that are literally banned in the United States and Europe. So nope. how does that how does that all equate, Matt? You're, <laughs> and Ryan. you're, you're wrong. You're wrong, Ray. You're wrong. What's the the reality is is that when you see those lawsuits in the United States, it's glyphosate. Uh, in Texas, <laughs> grape growers believe dicamba from cotton is killing their grapes. Oh, uh, and, no. uh, and some tissue analyses would be able to confirm this. But right now, it's just purely speculation, and they're arguing about it. And uh, hopefully, there's going to be some, uh, some, some actual testing that has taken a place rather than just immediately jumping to sue the shit out of BASF uh, because <laughs> or, or Bayer. I mean, it's just, I don't even understand why this is on the news. Test it and confirm it, and that will be your answer. You can point at the at the leaves and say, oh, well, it looks cup to me. That's fine. Test it, and I'll co-sign all your bullshit that you want about this of going after them and raising hell. Uh, but until then, just speculating that, man, this looks like dicamba damage to me. Well, there's lots of things that could look like dicamba damage, and let's be honest about that. And uh, and pretending like it looks like it, and it means it, and then you you just go to hell. What I know of two insect, I know of two insects that cause that shoestringing and cupping of leaves. One is leafhopper, and Mm -hmm. one and another are certain species of mites. I was I I was gonna say mites. I've seen mites called cause a, a lot of cupping before too. Yeah. Cupping and shoestringing, right? I mean, because, mm-hmm. however, here's the thing is 
I also want to go back to that whole scenario regarding responsible application of something as powerful as dicamba. Because on a dicamba-ready crop, you are literally applying it at a time when other crops are at risk. Because normally, dicamba is an early season field cleanup type of a product. Now, they're doing it in season where everything, where all the other surrounding crops are up, up and out. So, your spray drift, my gosh, you really have to keep tabs on your spray drift, for example. There's no doubt about it. Anybody that's played with it knows it ain't no joke. That's for sure. Uh, the oh, last God. one here we're going to talk about, and I just bring this up to, <laughs> is this is one of those particular instances that could drive pressure on on uh, on livestock like we have never seen before because, boy, it falls right in line with it. Uh, the Nord Stream rupture may mark the biggest single methane release ever recorded, the UN says. Uh, the ruptures on the Nord Stream natural gas pipeline under the Baltic Sea have led to what is likely the biggest single release of climate-damaging methane ever recorded, the UNE uh, environmental program uh, said on Friday. A huge plume of highly concentrated methane, a greenhouse gas far more potent but shorter-lived than carbon dioxide, was detected in analysis this week. A satellite imagery by researchers associated with the UNEP's uh, International Methane Emission Observatory, the organization said, this is really bad, most likely the largest emission ever uh, event ever detected. This is not helpful in a moment when we absolutely need to reduce emissions. And the reason why I bring this up is remember that we're already, uh, uh, you know, think about everything that's going on with uh, with livestock in the EU right now. Uh, remember everybody being mad at the cow farts. And, uh, and now all of a sudden that whatever progress we think we've made is now gone in a flurry. And could it, and I'm, this is purely speculatory here, could this be a catalyst for even tighter or uh, I'll steal DeMay's phrase here uh, to uh, uh, increase the velocity of change that, you know, we have to undo even more than we intended on having to do because we've got Nord Stream, which was bombed, uh, uh, polluting the environment at an even greater alarming rate than we ever knew in a single event. And it's just, it's, we're all going to die. Um, and that's, you know, when I, when I read that, that's immediately what starts popping into my head because that's what they want me to think. So, um, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I mean, that's, um, I'm being conspiratorial let's get, let's, here. I'll, let's I will get admit through, that. Let's get through the, let's get through the winter in Europe first and see how things shake out before. Uh, uh, that's, that's the, I think they should call a moratorium on all energy policy related decisions until, uh, you know, about. Eight months from right now, you know. Yeah, I've I've got a feeling a lot's going to be proposed. That's going to be DOA, um, and that's that's just a hunch I have there. Uh, that's see, that's enough bad news. We're all going to die. Mm -hmm. oh, go ahead, go ahead, Ray. Just seal it up for us here okay. and make us really, okay. really hate our future. You know, what's going to probably happen is I want these woke leaders to look their constituents in the face and say, you're all either going to freeze to death or starve to death because natural gas and energy is also used to keep 
houses warm in the winter. <laughs> right? I mean, are, are we going to tell people, oh, uh, due to climate change, no more natural gas heating. Uh, we're going to also reduce electricity production. So X number of you is going to have to freeze to death this year. Yeah. That's if you don't, that's if you don't starve to death first. Got to figure out what the conversion and, rate is on methane release to uh, deaths due to exposure. We'll, we'll calculate yeah, that up cal- later. Ca- calculate that out. Yeah. How many? How much methane is project this year? Is, is produced by uh, say ten thousand corpses, all decomposing. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> uh, <laughs> in this week's did, returns, right? yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, can I? Is that? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, Ohio State hires a new turf grass extension agent. Um, is this going to be one of the 10,000 core? I don't know. I have a game. No. Uh, Department Chair Dr. Doug Karcher summed up our uh, collective excitement best. We're excited to have Mr. Soon-to-be Dr. Carr join our faculty in January. His extensive relevant work experience in professional sports, turf, and golf course management will help make meaningful connections with our turfgrass industry stakeholders and ensure that his extension and research output is relevant and impactful. Uh, Tyler is also engaging. Uh, Tyler, this is Tyler Carr, by the way. Uh, Tyler is also engaging and team-oriented, so we expect to have him as a valuable contributor to our department. Uh, currently, Tyler is finishing his PhD at University of Tennessee under the advisement of Dr. John Sarakin. His dissertation focuses on methods to hasten zoysia grass establishment from sprigs. I like it. He received his master's uh, deter- and his thesis was determining water use in various home loan systems and has a bachelor's degree in turf grass science management from the University of Arkansas. Tyler's experience is not limited to solely academics. He spent time on the ground screws with the Cincinnati Reds, Boston Red Sox, and Chanel Country Club. Additionally, he is an active member of many local, national, and international turf associations, including the GCSAA, uh, the, S- the SFMA, the CSSA, and the Tennessee Turf Grass Association, the old TTA. So, excellent, excellent, excellent. Do you know this guy, Demay? I do, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you'll, you'll probably be seeing a lot more of him uh, out there in the extension space. So, uh, we've had a lot of good extension educators here over the years, so... Wanted to make sure he got introduced properly and uh, show that there is a pathway, Matt, for people to seek redemption to come from UT Knoxville up to Ohio State. This motherfucker right here. <laughs> um, yeah, Why hey, be number nine you, in the nation when you can be number three in the nation? Well, keep reveling over your victory over Rutgers there. That looked real fucking impressive. You guys uh, applications sought for. <laughs> you can't lose if you don't play, Demay. There's there's right. a method to the madness here. Um, applications sought for grants under fertilizer production expansion program. Uh, grants will increase innovate, uh, innovative American-made fertilizer production spur competition to help U.S. farmers addressing uh, ri- address rising costs. Uh, the U.S. farmers and agricultural producers to apply for grants under the FPEP, the Fertilizer Production Expansion Program. The administration recently announced it's making 
500 million up from 250 million in grants available through the program to increase American made fertilizer production, spur competition in combat price hikes on U.S. farmers caused by the war in Ukraine. Uh, the fertilizer production expansion program is one of many ways the Bi- Biden Harris uh, administration invests in agricultural supply chain right here at home. This funding will bring production and jobs back to the United States, promote competition, and support American goods and services. Under the leadership of President Biden, Vice, uh, Vice President uh, Harris, the USDA continues to create a resilient, secure, and sustainable economy to support opportunities for local businesses and people across the nation. The program is a critical part of that effort. Applicants may apply until November 14, 2022 to receive priority for projects and increase availability of fertilizer and nutrient alternatives for agricultural pro- producers to use this crop uh, in the crop years 2023 and 24. Uh, applicants may apply until December 29, 2022 to receive financial assistance to significantly increase American-made fertilizer production in the spur competition and combat price hikes. The application window supports applicants who need more time to make additional capacity availability. So good. This is good stuff here because we were just talking about uh, a lack of um, uh, what is the uh, what is the word? The the monopolization of the fertilizer industry here. We are seeing active uh, uh, investment into try and undo some of the tribal bullshit that has occurred up to this point. Now, I'm going to continue to look at this with a uh, with some sideways eyes, just because of I I know some of the people that have gotten grants so far, and uh, and they are very deserving of it, and I know some of the people that have gotten grants so far, and they are not very deserving of it, and uh, and that I think that shakes out with all grants, right? Not every one of them can be a home run, but you know some of the winners in this instance that uh, have the potential to do really good things uh, would be Anuvia, and another one would also be Pivot Bio. Uh, so, you know, two, uh, rock star companies there that, uh, get to take advantage of this and continue to do what they have to do to drive up additional supply. Uh, Boston bans artificial turf in parks due to toxic forever chemicals. Artificial turf is made with several layers, including plastic grass blades, plastic backing that holds the blades in place, and infill that weighs down the turf and helps blades stand upright. Until recently, infill was always made with recycled rubber tires called crumb rubber. However, independent and EPA testing found the materials contain high levels of dangerous chemicals. It seems kind of nonsensical to put ground-up tires in a field where children are playing. Uh, some companies have begun using cork as infill, but the industry has said the grass blades and backing cannot be made without PFAS. So it's not just in your water. It's not just in your biosolids. Now it's in your artificial turf. And Boston said enough is enough because this gets rained on. And in the event, it's going to get drained into somewhere where it already is. And then it's going to show up again. Um, Boys, I posted, and I I can't probably do this on air yet, uh, but with some time, eventually I will be able to. And what I am specifically looking for is I do not have not been able to find an industry standard of what an acceptable level of PFAS in fertilizer is. Uh, and specifically, I'm talking about biosolids. I have found limits in water. Um, obviously, the concentration in fertilizer is going to be greater than it would be as it gets watered and then diluted down. So I don't know what that looks like. Uh, but what I can say is that these biosolids that came from somewhere within the United States have concentrations that are, uh, uh, you know, uh, two two thousand x uh, what the legal uh, EPA recommended detectable levels are um, in the in the biosolid content. So, yeah. 
2000X is no small number. And uh, and so far, that is the only... And I put out the bat signal that if you use biosolids, contact whoever is your producer of biosolids and have them provide you a PFOS test report. I've gotten one. I'm not going to say who sent it to me, and I'm not going to say what company it came from yet. Uh, I've got I've to work through the legality of that myself um, uh, because I could... Let me tell you, I'm all for committing career suicide, but like, I don't want to get sued for like, you know, something. I don't know what the legal detectable levels are first. And I need to figure that out before I start name calling and pointing fingers and all that fun stuff. But I will say that as compared to water, these levels were 2000 levels greater uh, than, than what's, what's allowed to be seen in, in water. So wow. pretty, pretty, pretty high, high shit there. If you ask me. What's the, uh, uh, Demay. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I know you've dealt with artificial turf. Has PFAS in artificial turf made it onto your radar yet? Or is this the first you've seen of this or heard of it? No, I mean, uh, there's some pending regulations in California uh, statewide that would ban or put a moratorium on this. Uh, several smaller communities within the Northeast uh, in particular have taken a hard look at this. I think that's why and how it got on Boston's radar. So, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting because we just had an article last week on our show about how how many um, turf fields Boston Parks and Rec actually had in their system. And so now they're either going to have to find somebody who can make it without PFAS in it or uh, convert back to natural. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I'll be interested, too, about uh, what the... Uh, so here, I, I've got this here about the because I've been curious about this on the fertilizer and we will have to go into this on another show but I'm I'm reading that 20 parts per trillion is uh, a, a drinking water standard and then yes. uh there are uh, I'm reading areas that are uh, you know that have this stuff detected in wells and stuff like that that are uh, above 90 which constitute an imminent health hazard and some of these wells, this is in the northeast, and this is kind of why it's such a big deal, is that they're detecting levels uh, 102 to 150 parts per trillion. Oh, some of these locations. Oh, oh this test made those numbers look like absolute chump change. What? Uh, yeah, we weren't at parts per, per trillion. We were at parts per billion. Oh, son. Oh, yeah, that's dear. A, that's a factor of a thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, can you go forever exponential? Is this, I mean, we're entering another fucking time-space continuum here with the biosolids that we're putting out and how long these things will last? Uh, yep. I don't know. But how long is it until, because, you know, any, any kind of wastewater treatment facility, as these levels continue to rise, it's going to show up even higher and higher in the biosolids, right? So what's a part per billion now in however many years is now going to yeah. be a part per million. And then before long, it's going to be a percent. <laughs> well, it's got to be, I mean, you should be able to, I don't know how long, how back, far back they have the data, but you should be able to track that and figure it out on a log scale, right? In, would, yes, if if they have been recording this, there's no bad stuff in the water if we don't. Time's up. <laughs> it's, it's over. It's <laughs> over, bitch," said Flint, Michigan. Uh, 
boys, real different. quick, we're going to dip in. <laughs> the water's on fire. Uh, it, to the mailbag here. You've got and mail. This is Jackson, a good one for us to talk about. Jackson, Mississippi. Boy, don't get me started on that. As a Mississippi boy, I I could have told you that was coming 10 years ago. Um, there's a lot of correlation with Memphis there, and it's I don't even want to get into it. Uh, Matt says, Matt, I'm a long-time subscriber. I have a question regarding other crop seed in a mixture I just bought from Lesco. Now, I have already spread a pallet, but my concern is the other crop is a whopping 5%. I'm a relatively small company, and that's all I could afford, and it was $130 a bag. But did I really screw myself here? My rep at site one assured me orchard grass and other varieties would be labeled as noxious weeds. But the more I dig, the more I think he was wrong. Please let me know what you think. I'd be happy to send you a copy of the label if you're interested. Uh, I do not think orchard grass is listed as a noxious weed. Uh, you would check your state and look for noxious weeds, and uh, and you'll see right right there available in your state of what everything that's listed as a noxious weed. Your other crop could be anything that is not a noxious weed. It could be poa a. It could be poa triv. It could be orchard grass. It could be broom sedge. Quack, it could be all kinds of shit. Quack grass. Uh, so if it's not on your noxious weed list, so just because your buddy at site one there said, ah, trust me, that doesn't mean that you can't tell him to go fuck himself. So uh, your hunch that you have there, I'm going to give you a pro tip. If they take you to Olive Garden, don't go. <laughs> don't go. They will walk out and leave you with the bill if you get honest. And that is that is from personal experience there. I didn't oh, never God. accept Never accept the Olive Garden trip. Actually, what you should do, this is the correct way to do this, right? You wait till the breadsticks come. You have a breadstick or two because those are good breadsticks. You don't want to leave that on the table. Now, when they bring the salad out and the waiter says, hey, I'm going to go ahead and crank this cheese, you know, just say when you want me to stop. As he begins to crank, you say, oh, I'm going to step out and get use the restroom real quick. Just leave him there cranking the entire time. He'll go on for five, six minutes. You slip out the back and get the fuck up on out of there and go to your other supplier. Pro tip. <laughs> Pile of cheese just oozing out of the bowl. The slight ones go, oh, I wonder where he went. <laughs> uh, Matt, the other thing I will tell you about this is that you are not alone. Uh, you, you just you're, It's going to be impossible not to find seed that looks like that. Um, so I, I, did you screw yourself? 5% a lot. I, the 0.5% a lot. 5%. 5, 5, it's five, five, five really? It can't be five, five, four point nine seven. 7. You got it. Is there a picture? No, but he, he said he is panicked in this email and he says, I'll, I'll send you a copy of the label. He says it's a yeah, whopping 4.97%. Oh my, I take that. That's a lot. Back. <laughs> I'd go. I'd go take. I'd take that and I'd donate it to the cemetery to plant on some some uh, burial plots. That's what I'd do. <laughs> or uh, what I do is I take out a little bit of insurance at time of seeding. What's that? What is it? What is that, Ray? See, I'm known for my spi- my spicy mixes. <laughs> okay, number Tenacity, one. Tenacity. That's a fumigate. Ethafumisate and quinclorac. One, two, three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that should forestall 
some of the foreign species, uh, you know, to a point, so at least your job is not a total dumpster fire. Because yeah, so I, I, I feel for this guy because he he's put out all of this grass seed and now he has no damned idea what's going to come out of it. Uh, I feel I, for yeah. him. I'd get rid of that. And he's already well, in for $130 a bag. Now that's going to prop him up to probably somewhere closer to 200 a bag. And, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. You just put it on the I consumer. You, you tell him, hey, just tell him, hey, I get this stuff or I get this stuff. This is, you know, the top of the line stuff. And it's what I'd use if it's what I'd recommend. But, you know, there's some customers that are a little more conscious. You're cost conscious and times are tough. So this is the shit. This is the cans. They're at the end of the line that have no fucking labels on them, and I don't know what's going to come out of this goddamn can, but you damn kids are going <laughs> to eat it and like it, you little shit stains. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those learning experiences where you get a pallet through, and then you realize, like, oh, God. <laughs> Lord. Oh, God. <laughs> Hope that question. I feel for you, man. Please, please send us a picture of the label, uh, mail at yeah, TV. And, uh, and yeah, maybe maybe we'll actually put site one on Joe Nose Charm. Who knows? All right, boys, we are going to go hang out with the with – the, uh, boy, that was a funny phone call I got when I bad-talked them uh, for an entire Grass Factor episode, by the way. Oh, man, funny. It was, that was actually before I got the, uh, the Olive Garden treatment. <laughs> I, you know, I'll never forget that for as long as I live. Uh, kudos to the, uh, the the regional vice president that walked out on my Olive Garden bill, by the way. It was real classy of you. We're going to go hang out with the patrons. Let them choose this week's episode title. Love y'all. See you Thursday.